Welcome to The Rock's podcast. The book of Joshua gives the account of how God led his people into the promised land. Though they continued to display a lack of faith in God, he remained faithful to the promise he made to Abraham and his descendants. Let's join Pastor Ross now as he guides us through the book of Joshua. All right. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Welcome you back to your seats. What a great turnout for a nice, warm evening. It's good to see folks who are excited about studying the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament. Don't you make your way to Joshua. Actually, we're not finished with chapter 1, but we will get through chapter 2, Lord willing, tonight. So Joshua chapter 1, where we'll finish the chapter, we'll pick up where we left off. Like we usually do, we are going through the Old Testament chapter by chapter. We find ourselves in the book of Joshua. Now, Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts to heaven to study your God-sent word to us, may it find its place in our hearts and do its proposed work as we yield and cooperate with your Holy Spirit. You've got something for us tonight, something to help us in answer to a prayer that we've been praying is going to surface tonight in the truth that we hear. Help us to have hearers to hear it and hearts with courage to obey it and put it into practice in Christ's name. Amen. My 16th birthday present was the best present I ever remember receiving. My dad, as I've told you before, bought me this car, my first car. It was a baby blue 67 VW Bug, as I've mentioned before. Some of you hadn't heard that. Uh, After the cake and after the presents, he handed me the keys and said, go look in the driveway, and I kind of figured what was out there. I went out there. I was a very happy 16-year-old boy. I had a car of my very own, but not so fast. Before I could enjoy what was rightfully mine, there were some things to do. License, registration. In fact, I didn't have a proper driver's license yet. And I had to take a course, 30 hours in a classroom, six hours behind the wheel. That's how it was back in the day. I'm not sure what it is today. I also needed a part-time job to pay for the gas and the insurance. And so the car was mine, and my father had given it to me. But now there were duties to fulfill in order for me to enjoy taking full possession of what was rightfully mine, given to me by my father. Now, genuine faith in God gets that, that God will freely give us eternal life. And then there's something called working out your salvation with fear and trembling. God gifts us, and then he says, take possession. 
And here in the opening chapters of Joshua, we're going to see just that. Now, depending on the gift and the circumstance, there's differing levels of effort needed to take possession of what's rightfully been given you. Now, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, had deeded to Abraham land, and he has given them borders, and we've looked at the picture there. Uh, Genesis 22, he says, I swear by myself, God Almighty, making an oath by his own name to Abraham, he says, I swear on my own good name that this land is going to be yours. I will surely bless you and make you uh, make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me and believed in me. And the delineated borders of this gift were given in Genesis 15, Exodus 23, Numbers 34, and Ezekiel 47. The southern border was along the Sinai Desert. The eastern border along the Jordan River. The northern border along the mountains of Syria and Lebanon. And the western border was the easy Mediterranean Sea. He says, that's the little enclosure I want my Hebrew people to populate. And from them will come the scriptures and the savior of the world and the truth that will set men's hearts free. He says, you will be a blessing to everybody, these people. He also says that whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye, or my eye, as God is speaking. And so this is the gift, but there's something to do. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. And so he gives the land, and then he says, now, take it. And after 400 years, the fullness of time, you know, Moses had delivered them out of their Egyptian slave pits, led them to the Sinai, through the Sinai, rather, to receive God's law. Now they're perched, as you recall, on the edge of the land. Uh, The lawgiver cannot give peace and rest, but Yeshua, Joshua, leads them, as Jesus does lead us into our promised rest. That, pro- that possessing it will be a process seven years. Here's what was prophesied. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. You hear the pronouns there? I will hand over to you the people who live in the land, and you will drive them out before you. But I will not drive them out in a singular year, in a single year, because the land would become desolate. Wild animals would be too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of it. And so really, you see, the book of Joshua, and in fact, the first 12 chapters, is the seven year, little by little, that God is talking about. The process of taking possession, what is rightfully theirs, given to them. Of course, the screaming New Testament spiritual application of this is, as we have spoken of before, that working out of our own salvation to to make our Christian life that what what it can be in all its potential, to have a heart of peace, to live a life of that abundant life of blessing, 
where life is working and your heart is at rest and God is answering your prayers and you have a clean conscience and your words are wise and helpful and fruitful and your relationships are, are fruitful and blossoming and your whole life is alive. It could even be hard, but your life is alive and blessed. He says, that's going to be a fight. You're going to have to subdue your own sinful heart. And uh, the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and all of those ites stand for uh, carnal, sinful ways that rob us from enjoying what God has given us. And so that's the spiritual application, the seven-year battle to take possession of what God has given us. And that's really the context to finish up chapter 1 here. So, so just to refresh your memories, verses 1 through 9, very well-loved uh, verses. Three times the Lord says, Be strong, Joshua, and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua was very insecure. And the Lord said, Look, Joshua, I'm with you. I know it's a daunting task. And I know you can't do it without me, but I am with you. I am for you. I am cheering you on and uh, with my help. Uh, and learning and loving and living the word of God would be essential to Joshua to fully possess all the promise that God had given. So are you ready to pick up in verse 10? We'll finish the chapter now. So Joshua, after he was encouraged by the Lord, ordered the officers of the people go through the camp and tell the people it's time. Get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. I hope you keep seeing that. I've given you this, now take it. That is so true of the Christian life. I've given you this, take it. Make it yours. Make that promise. No temptation has seized you except what is common to all men. And God is faithful with that very temptation to provide a way for you to escape that you might bear up under it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Make that yours. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look what I've given you. When, when you abide in my word and... and, and uh, I abide in you and you abide in me. Ask what you wish and it will be done by my Father in heaven. Live in such a right, close relationship with me that you will speak prayers. They will go into my heart and I will, I will manifest an answer. I've given you that. Now take advantage of that. Make it your own. Sorry, got excited. Verse 12. All right, so he tells them. You know, get, get ready. You got three days. Verse 12. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, we call them the two and a half. Remember those guys? Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are, help, you are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever... 
You have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we'll obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Wow. All right. So Joshua's fears are calmed and his confidence is boosted and it's time to get down to business. And he does do that. He tells them, get ready. Uh, get your provisions set for three days. We're, we're going to be going now. And I really like Joshua. First off, I want to say I really like him because he's not a vacillator. He doesn't go back and forth. Look at him. He's really insecure. He's really kind of rattled by this new responsibility. Uh, God has just called him to something that's totally unfamiliar and he feels totally unprepared for. He's humbled and he's fearful and he's insecure. But look what happens right away. God reasons with him, instructs him, reassures him, speaks to his heart. And this is what I like about him. Done. You'll never hear him whining again. It's done. He comes before God and he says... Lord, how can I fill Moses' shoes? And he goes, oh, it's not about that. I'm, I'll be with you. Don't, don't be afraid. Be courageous. I'm with you. Um, that was enough for him. Some Christians, they just never get out of Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Uh, because they're good for a day or two. But then they don't follow through. They don't take God at his word. They don't step forward. They, don't, they know what God's saying, but they don't buy it. They don't believe it. And so he has to keep bringing them back and forth and, and coddling them and going through the thing over and over again. And I just, I just love that. That's it. That was enough for him. He's convinced. And now, you know what? He's still afraid, but he's going to saddle up the donkey anyway. I mean, he believes God and he's going forward. I just like that. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And that's Luke chapter 9 and verse 62. The farmers back in the day, they would plow and they would fix their eye on something to keep the plow lines straight. And they'd fix their eyes on something like a tree. And if they weren't focused ahead and fixing their eyes ahead, if they kept turning back, they would lose where their perspective was and they, and they were just be not very useful or productive. And so that's the way Joshua is. Boom, I'm upset. I don't know what I'm going to do. God says, I'm with you. Let's do this thing. And he goes, yes. And he starts, I just love this guy. So he swings into action with a couple of exhortations. The first thing that he does is say, it's going to be a three-day wait. And I, folks, I don't think that it was a very popular word to tell folks who have been waiting for 400 years Okay, ready to go in three days. And uh, you could just, I could just hear two million Hebrews go, are we there yet? You know, what, why can't we go? We're right here. We can see it. What's the three days about? Well, we're going to find out in Joshua 2 what the three days God is going to use. In the end. He's got somebody on his heart and mind. We need three days to go save somebody. We need to chill. We need to wait. We need to be patient. You know, folks, it's no coincidence that the number one moving violation is there's three in a row. It goes speeding, 
running stops and running reds. Why do, why do you think? We hate to wait. We hate to wait. And sometimes we just have to wait on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. In fact, somebody at Starbucks just said, oh, thank you for waiting. And I said, you know what? That's all I do is wait. I'm called to wait. I'm just hanging out waiting for Jesus to come back, honestly. And uh, that's what your job is, you know. And so, uh, listen, please do not get out ahead of the Lord. Don't lag behind him either. Just walk in cadence, keep in step with him. And so he says, you're going to have to wait three days. And then the exhortation for the rest of the whole thing, the chunk is to the two and a half that you'll remember. I'll refresh your memory from Numbers 32. All of Israel's parked across the street from Jericho, separated by the Jordan River, and they're ready to go into Israel proper. And the two and a half tribes say, you know what, we really like this land. You guys, the rest of you nine and a half, go over. We won't ask you for anything. We like this place. We're done. God bless you. Goodbye. And Moses, as you'll recall, um, blows a holy head gasket. And he says, that is so rebellious. You're falling short. You're going to turn this into another Kadesh Barnea uh, from 40 years ago. It's going to be a disaster. Uh, You're going to discourage everybody. And so the, the two and a half tribes come back with a counter offer, as you recall. They said, look. We really want this land. We're fine over here, okay? We want to be borderline believers, okay? So just you guys, look, all the fighting men will go before you. We'll help you guys settle Israel proper. And when that's over and done with, we're going to come back across the Jordan and we'll be reunited with our families. Is that okay? And the Lord acquiesced and said, okay, you want to live on the border? And be the first to bear the brunt of the Assyrians and the Babylonians for centuries. Fine. You can do that. And they did. It was a bad trade. But sometimes God, when he can't get through to somebody, is like he gives them over to that thing. And this is uh, ground that we've already covered. So what I do want to point out is verses 14 and 15. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, until they too have taken possession of what the Lord has given them. That's really what I want you to see here tonight in this section. He's saying, look, two and a half, you've got responsibility. You've got your land. You like it. You're settled. You've, ta-da, you're there. But there are others, a part of the Christian congregation, that are not. You cannot live uh, with your only, only your concerns. You have to be concerned about helping others to, to possess the rest and the promise that belongs to all God's people. And if I look out here tonight, I'm going to see some who are very settled. You're, the, uh, you're not necessarily the two and a half, but you are more mature in the Lord. You're enjoying the rest. You are mature. You have a prayer life. There's peace in your homes. You have a strong marriage. You've got kids who are being nurtured in the admonition of the Lord. And then there are others who are in chaos in this room. They're immature. They're weak. 
they're struggling, they're here. God, the New Testament application of this is very simple. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his own good to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. That's Romans chapter 15, 1 through 3. So the idea here is, please, we are a family. Some of us are settled. You two and a half are settled. You got your thing. But that it would be highly immoral of you to just be wrapped up and say, you know, as for me and my house, we're settled. We have enough food. We're fine. We're blessed. We're living the Christian life. But somebody next to you in the congregation is upside down. It is your moral Christian mandated command from God, not an option for you within your knowledge, within your ability, and within the prompting of the Holy Spirit on your own heart to be of help, to settle them. When they're settled, you're released to enjoy your own life. So, in other words, I mean, we have a job to do. And we can't be like the world who just cares really basically about themselves. People are struggling here. And I do want you to notice what he calls the inheritance. He says you have to help them get settled into their rest. And that's how the book of Joshua describes the promise of God and the gift of God is is a place of rest. No more wandering around in the desert, but a place to have roots and rest. And that soul rest that Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest. Now, I just grabbed a bite to eat with a new believer. He happens to be here tonight, but I'm not going to embarrass him. Um, and he was telling me his story. And he said, when he was a young teenager, he went to a youth group and got saved. And he walked with the Lord for about two years. And now I think he's in his mid-30s. After two years, he stopped completely. Zero. Nothing with God. But for two years, he got it. Right? And so he's telling me the story. And he lit up with this big smile. And he had this big, bright countenance. And he said, it is so nice to rest. So finally, he came here, he Googled us, somebody suggested the Calvary Chapel, he Googled, he came, he sat down, he said, Amanda started singing, and, and he felt in his heart, I'm home, I'm back with the Lord again. And the way that he described it, of saying, I wrestled my whole adult life with a nagging sense that I was wrestling with the will of God. And he said, I didn't even know how much stress I was under until I finally, I came and I just said, I surrender. And he got this peace and this joy. That's the the whole theme of Joshua. What he described, his testimony, is the theme that you read if you get a commentary on Joshua. The theme of Joshua is entering his rest. That's the whole deal. And there's no Rest for the wicked, says Isaiah. But there is no rest for those who are not in sync with the Spirit of God. How can you have any soul rest when you're not doing what you were created to do? When you're in rebellion with the source of life. When you're going this way and God's going that way and he's saying go up and you're going down and it just, it doesn't work. 
And so the closing paragraph there, before we go to Rahab's story, they answer back, the two and a half, they say, we are with you, lead on. And it just shows Israel's unity and willingness to do as they had promised earlier. You know, it's easy to promise and make a deal with God. Look, uh, listen, we want to stay here if it's okay with you. We'll go and fight. We, that's our pledge. Well, now it's time to go and fight. And they have to do it. And they say, we'll do it, you know. An unstoppable combination, courageous, faith-filled leader, and a willing and compliant congregation wanting to walk with God. So, oh, one last thing. The last little line here in the chapter, I love it. What a blessing of encouragement to Joshua. They're like, we're with you. And then he's, they say, only be strong and courageous. Well, I wonder <laughs> where that came from. Now, Joshua's just been told by the Lord about nine times that very thing. Be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Strong, courageous, strong, courageous. And they say, God puts it in their mouths, unbeknownst to them. They say, oh, the last thing we want to say is just be strong and courageous. Bam. Confirmation again. And I love how God will confirm to you his word in so many different ways and put it in people's mouths or, or something that they do and you don't even, they don't even know and you just go, bing, yes, I'm on the right track and that's an answer to prayer. I just love how he does that. And I, I'm just going to tell you, that I've told you this before, uh, a confirmation that, that started this church. I was in line, and I've told you this before, I was in line to talk to Pastor Jay about starting a church in Sebastopol and I'm waiting for him after Sunday morning service. I haven't told anybody, and then just my wife and my kids know. And um, I'm standing waiting, and somebody comes up to me, and he's waiting to talk to Jay as well. And he says, Ross, how do you know when it's time to leave a church and maybe plant a church somewhere? I'm looking at him. I'm waiting. I'm just eyeballing Jay. As soon as that next person leaves... I'm scooting in to, sit, to ask him, how do you know when it's time to start a church? And so I'm, I, I'm saying, so who are you talking about, you or me? And he goes, why would I be talking about you? I'm talking about me. And so I say, okay, so you want to plant a church? He goes, well, I've got on my heart, I've got Sebastopol on my heart to go plant a church. Did you talk to Barb? About what? No. Okay, so hold on here, and then Jay gets freed up, and I'm just leaving. Well, he ended up coming with us. He could play the guitar and lead worship, and, and God just confirmed his word. He didn't know what he was saying. Neither did the congregation. Only one last thing. Be strong and courageous. Duh, the whole chapter, one through nine, strong and courageous. Boom. Joshua's like, done. Let's do this thing. And so now it's time to examine the land and send out some spies. We're going to read all of chapter 2. Um, we're going to walk through it. Wait. Here we go. It's one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Rahab is going to go from a pagan prostitute to a hero of the faith. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. 
So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You know, they're on the roof. She hid them there. Go after them quickly. Maybe you catch them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fjords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab goes up to the roof and says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. Uh, And a great fear of you has fallen upon us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you guys. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. And it's just moving already to me and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives. In other words, yes, the men assure her. Now, if you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves three days um, until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into the house, if anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We're not responsible for that. As for anyone who's in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. Amen. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded, I can't read, the river, and forded the river and threw the snow to grandmother's house. Sorry. Well, it's in the Hebrew. It's really hard to see. Uh, And came to Joshua. 
and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All of the people are melting in fear because of us. Now let's go over this really um, inspiring story. This is a story about an extraordinary woman's courage, the gospel, how it saves, how it transforms, and what true faith really looks like. Um, Rahab's mentioned in Hebrews 11.31. She goes from the house of shame to the hall of fame and faith, Hebrews 11.31. And James chapter 2, as we recalled last week, and verse 25, James uses Rahab's actions here tonight to say, see, she was a believer. Look what she did. She sent the spies that way. Whoa, I've been doing a lot of that lately. And so first of all, verse 1, the spies sent out secretly. And this is what Israel's going to do all through the seven years. They always do their due diligence. Now, God had said, I give you this land. But, folks, there's your part to do. There's some research involved. Let's do our due diligence. Let's, Let's just say, let's just have faith. Let's just go over there blindly. God said, let's do it. There's a part to do, and I really like that faith doesn't exempt us from doing our part to develop a practical strategy, human responsibility, God's enablement, human responsibility. Why can't we get that? Why do we have to go all the way to it's all God and I do nothing but just I said the prayer or to it's all about me? And it's all up to me. Why can't we just find the middle? Right in the middle. God's enabling. I'm cooperating. God is calling. I'm answering. It's, it's right in the middle. We are working together. And that's what's seen here. Uh, no doubt it's a secret top secret mission. It says, of course spies go out in secret. But it says in secret. Why? Last time they sent out spies, it was devastating. So this time, no Eeyores are welcome. All right. Oh, we're all going to die. The walls of Jericho are so high. The soldiers, the guys make us look like little dwarves. All right. Because that's what they did before. So Joshua has learned. Joshua has sent somebody with a lot more faith and a little more optimism. And he says, you two go. And where do they go? Well, interestingly, they go to a brothel. Now, it makes sense. Now, why? They desire and need anonymity, don't they? Uh, They're strangers. We already know the city's on high alert for Israelite soldiers, maybe, or for a spy mission. And so where do they go? Two guys are going into a place where you don't ask questions. Who are you? No photo IDs there. No registration. And they're smart. They're smart. Let's go there. You know, two guys are walking into a brothel, so nobody's turning their heads. Now, to impugn upon them any hint of immorality is for us to project our own evilness onto two men of God. These two men of God, first of all, are men of God. Second of all, they're in a precarious situation. They're not interested in anything else. They're not interested in what Rahab has to offer there. They're interested 
in doing God's will, and they're using their smarts. Now, when people realize that these are two godly men, because you can't hide it, you really can't, they understand uh, they're not interested, then what are they doing? Well, that's when it leaks out. There, the message gets to the king that Rahab's got two guys not interested in any women. Why would you be in a brothel if you're not interested in women? Who are you? Where do they come from? That's why, I believe, the king finds out. The king of Jericho sends uh, soldiers out, and word gets out, you know, uh, and the king of Jericho sends word to Rahab in the Tenderloin district over there, and they're yelling into her window or whatever, banging on the door, you've got spies in your house. Send them out to us. They are here to spy out our entire land. And you know what's cool about that is, is that, I mean, God sent these two guys. They're thinking we need to hide in a safe place. God is saying, thank you, but that's not really why you're there. I've got somebody who belongs to me. She's disguised right now as a pagan prostitute, but actually she's a hero. She's one of ours. She's got a soft heart and she trusts in me and she's sorry for what she's done and she's turned to me. And I'm sending you into the brothel. You think it's for anonymity. It's actually for a rescue mission. And where does he send us today? Since it's to, there's a brother here I'm looking at right now, he goes to the prisons and talks to the lowest of low. Why? What's a Christian going into a prison for with a bunch of bad boys? It's because one of those bad boys, or more than one, is a Bible-believing Christian pastor, hidden, disguised, like Rahab was. And so I just think that's really cool. And that's where we get to Rahab lying her way into the kingdom of God. (laughs) Now, you know what? You can take a whole class on this. And at the end, your head will still be spinning. So I'm not going to clear this up, how God applauds her lie and that it it seems like a good thing. Um, uh, But I will talk to you about it. First, verses 4 through 7, what she did. And then the next paragraph was why she did it. So Rahab catches on that the cover's blown and they're closing in. So she hides them up on the roof and she meets the soldiers and she gives an Academy Award winning performance of which way did they go? Which way did they go? So here's what Rahab says. Uh, They say, hey, the guys, they're Israelites, they're Hebrews, they're bad guys. And he goes, she says, yeah, you're right. They came to me, but I didn't have a clue where these guys were from. They left at sunset out the gate, but I'm not sure which way they went. But if you guys are fast, go, 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 go. You're going to catch them. And they went, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and they went out and they shut the doors behind. Now, James says, you want to know how Rahab was, uh, uh, was saved? She sent them off in a different direction. James is saying, look at her. I want to show you that her works prove that she had true faith in God. What were her works? James says in chapter 2, Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. 
Very good. Ah, okay, how do I explain that? Well, is God okay with lying? Well, here's a great quote. When a lie is actually not really a lie, but saving a person's life, and in this case, working with the direct purposes of God, it ceases to be in its fullest, truest sense a lie. In fact, it's now a heroic act of bravery. Now, Shipra and Pua, two very odd names for a girl, two midwives, Hebrews, who were told by the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, listen, we're tired of all these Hebrew slaves. They're going to take over the place. If they give birth, you're a midwife. If the Hebrew woman gives birth to a boy, kill him. You've got an order from me, or we'll kill you. And the Hebrew women said, we're not going to do that. And so they let the boys live. They find out. The Pharaoh calls the two nobody Hebrew women before the court of Pharaoh and says, excuse me, but there are a lot of little infant Hebrews around, and I just want to know infant Hebrew boys We want to know what's going on. And what do they say? They say, oh, Pharaoh, you don't understand Jewish pregnant ladies. When they have labor, man, they just, boom, the baby comes out. And before we even get there, that kid's already taken its first steps. (laughs) Practically. They say they deliver much differently than Egyptian women. And before, when we get there, the kid's already born, what can we do? Take the baby, strangle it there in front of the mom? We're not going to do that. And then it says, God rewarded them for doing that and gave them families of their own. Now, when somebody says to you, crying with tears, I went to the hairdresser and I said, just take an inch off and look what she did to me. (laughs) Okay. Maybe this doesn't work for me right now. And I say, now what if I did it? I'm crying to you, right? And, and, and the woman has a bad, it's, it's a bad haircut. It, it, it looks bad, all right? And she's crying, and she says, does it really look that bad? What are you supposed to say to that? As a Christian in love, are you supposed to say, yeah. OMG, you look horrible. Who did that to you? I know a good lawyer. (laughs) No, you say, of course not. You look fine. Is that a lie? I don't think it's a lie. Now, am I trying to convince you to uh, lie more? (laughs) I am not. And if you think you can validate any dishonesty and say, you know, and use any of this to uh, validate it, uh, no. God's smart. But all I'm saying is, is that... You know, a lie is a lie. And we know what a lie is. And liars, God says, will go to hell. That's where they go. They're thrown into the lake of fire. But we know what a true lie is. And this wasn't a true lie. So when Corey Tenboom was asked, oh, we heard that you're housing some, some Jews. And she said, I don't know what you're talking about. And she had a secret room hidden behind a wall where there were Jews. Is she lying? 
not in the truest sense of what a lie is, you see. It just, you just have to think. Now, that's what she did. What? That's your job. You have to think this through, all right? Truth. Speak the truth in love. In love. In so that's what she did. Now why? Okay, after sending them off, let's go through 8 through 13. We can just about, there's like this much left. It's hardly anything. After sending them off, the gates are shut, and right before bedtime, we find out why she did what she did. She goes up to the roof, and she says, Guys, listen, before you go to sleep, one, I know that the Lord has given you the land. There's a pattern here since Egypt and the ten uh, plagues. We get it. We know all about Og and Sihon. We've heard. There's a pattern. We're connecting the dots. If he could bust you out of Egypt and part a Red Sea, she knows about the Red Sea. If he could do that, and then those two kings, what are our walls? She says, no way. These walls are coming down. And then she says, we're panicked because of you. We heard all these miracles. Our hearts have melted. And verse 11, for the Lord your God is the God of heaven above and on earth below. Cha-ching. That is the line right there. And then she says, now you swear to me. I see both of your hides up here. And I want you to save not only me, but my mommy and my daddy and my sisters and my brothers and everybody that belongs to them. Because I showed you to kindness and I believe that he's coming and he's God and he's going to do exactly what you said. And they said, we swear on it. You're in. That is so awesome. Well, number one, God is willing to have saved any of those Canaanites because he is the God who wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. He is willing that none perish. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Those are your two scriptures for that. Anybody in those nations that Israel's going to dispossess can repent and be saved. So none of this stuff about God just comes in and dispossesses the land and slays everybody. They had 400 years to think this over. And 40 years since we heard about the, the, the 10 plagues and the, uh, the sea parting. They had 40 years to think about that. They still have three days. And she's making good on the 72 hours. She's saying, uh, my mama didn't raise no prostitute who's stupid. <laughs> All right. Now, number two, faith came by hearing. You do want to talk about God's testimonies because she heard in Romans 10, verse 17, she believed. She got saved because she heard. Think about that. And notice her love born in her heart. True. She cares. My mom and dad are in the city of destruction. They all think they're safe because the walls are so high and the gates are so thick and the guards are so big and they think there's no way the city's going down. But my mom and dad are destined to go down, my brothers and sisters and all their kids, they're all going to be doomed. They live behind a city of destruction. 
that's doomed. God has pronounced their judgment. He's coming and he's going to destroy them with the breath of his fire and his word. She gets it. You know what I like about her? Is she, that kind of compassion is born when she can do something about it. Remember in Luke 16, Jesus says, hey, I know this story I'm going to share with you. Two guys die. The rich unbeliever goes to a place called Hades. It's pre-hell. And he says to Abraham across the chasm, send Lazarus back into his body and to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Now here's a nice guy in hell who has compassion, but it's too late. It's too late to care about people who are doomed because he said, listen, brother, we can't do that. They've got the Bible. They've got the word of God. They've got a conscience. They've got creation. If they, if they don't turn at the word of the Lord, they're not going to turn if Lazarus went anyway. But what strikes me is, is that Rahab gets it when she can do something about it. And I'll tell you what, test your heart. If you don't care if somebody else is going to hell, you don't care at all. It doesn't bother you at all. You don't lose a bit of sleep over it that someone like your mom or dad or a brother or a sister is going to perish forever. If it happened tonight, they're left here. Then I I would re-examine your heart to see if God dwells there. Very important. Now the final thing, the, the big ticket item, what she has to do, and then we're closed Closed, then I close. She, she asks to be spared, and they say, Here's the deal. We'll spare you, but here's what you got to do um, tie a scarlet piece of yarn to your window, make sure you all stay inside, and keep your promise to us. And that's the famous scarlet cord that runs from Genesis to Revelation. Um, it was all about the scarlet cord, and uh, This was a signal to the army of Israel that the people in this home were to be spared. Despite Rahab's desire, despite her faith, despite the promises of the spies, she would have perished unless she put her trust in the blood-red cord cast from her window. Without the scarlet cord, she could not be saved. Genesis to Revelation. Animals' scarlet blood shed in the garden for their hides to cover the shame of man, uh, man's sin. Adam and Eve got the hides of animals, so there was that red scarlet cord, the Joseph's coat of many colors dipped in scarlet blood. The Passover lamb's scarlet blood splattered on the doorposts on Passover that all who stayed inside with the scarlet Cord, as it were, over the door frames were safe and death passed over. The scarlet yarn in the high priest's robe, who's Jesus, the scarlet fabric in the tabernacle curtain and then in the temple, holy of holy area. The scarlet sacrificed offerings of a thousand years in the temple, 600 years in Solomon's temple, blood, 400 years in Zerubbabel's temple. A thousand years of this scarlet flowing cord that saved people, that brought temporary forgiveness. And then, of course, Jesus our Lord, 
Herod says, put a scarlet robe on him because we've got to bring the scarlet thread from Genesis to the Savior of the world. And there he is, battered, bloodied, already been scourged, and they've got that scarlet yarn on him. And then the scarlet colored blood that flows from the cross that saves all of mankind. That, my friend, is the scarlet cord that stretches all the way to Revelation, where it says they overcame the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And so, the final note, my favorite part of the story, it all goes very well. And you know how it ends, but Rahab converts. She starts cooking kosher food. She changes the way she's dressed. She's a new person. And she catches the eye of one of the Israeli princes. And she marries him. And they have a son. His name is Boaz. Boaz marries a gal named Ruth. And they have a son named Obed. And Obed marries and has a son named David, who is King David. So Rahab becomes great-great-grandmother of King David. Pagan, prostitute, woman, Canaanite, becomes David's, King David's, great-great-grandma. And from David... 28 names down, Mary, who is blood-related to King David, who is blood-related to Rahab. Mary is related to Rahab. Mary's son, who stepped through her womb from heaven with no father, is blood-related to Rahab. Rahab becomes an ancestress to the Son of God. Physically, 100%, genetically, biologically, they are kin. How does God do that? <laughs> how, how do you go into a brothel and find this overperfumed, underdressed, foul-mouthed, pagan prostitute and make her genetically an ancestress to the living God. Grace. Grace that says, I don't care who you are or what you've done. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how dirty and dark and dismal you are. I can take you with simple faith. You heard, and what did she hear? Self-preservation kicked in. God is strong. He's coming. I'm going to die. (laughs) Therefore, I need to do something. So she acted. The difference between us and the world, I believe, is their self-preservation mode is broken. There are people who don't care. They'll risk everything for their sin. They'll risk their eternal soul. Not Rahab and not anybody in here, Lord willing. They say, no way. You know what? I'm not putting a sexual gratification over my eternal soul. I will not do it. I will not put drugs and alcohol there. 
I will not put my own self-autonomy, the, the, the ability to lead my own life. I will not venture to lose my own soul at the cost of any of these things. And people say, well, you're just a Christian then because you don't want to go to hell. And I say, exactly. <laughs> Very good. Why is it not noble for me to step back off of a cliff when I look down and go, oh, I'm afraid I'm stepping back. Are you going to call me less noble because I didn't do the math and calculate it out or whatever? God put self-preservation mode in our hearts and it's broken in some people. Not turned on because they'll say, I guess that's a chance I'm going to take. And when I get there, I'll have a lot of company. No, you won't. You'll be isolated in utter darkness forever and ever and ever without any escape. And Rahab said, not going to go there. That's a lose-lose. Not going to go that. I don't care how much I got invested in this brothel. I don't care about this. You know what? Uh, listen, they went that way. All right? Now, you guys owe me something here. You guys owe me. I don't want to die. You know? What is wrong with people? They just look right back at me and say, you know what? I want to die, okay? What can you do to that? But we look at Rahab and say, look what God can do to, with a life by simply believing. Wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you could take us from the, the dirt and the ground and do something beautiful, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. And if you did it with Rahab, you could do it with anybody in this room. Thank you that if Rahab found a place in your heart, all of us can. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.